Welcome to Doing Divorce Different. Join family law attorney turned mediator, Lisa Kosky, for candid conversations on how to alleviate the fear of divorce and how to heal through empowerment. Now, your host, Lisa Kosky. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Doing Divorce Different. It's timely and so helpful. Today, we're not talking about a really uplifting subject, but marriage and family counselor Brian Burns is going to discuss grief with us today. And you know, we talk about grief as it applies to divorce. It's the death of a marriage. He talks about how it's similar to grief over a death and how it's different. He goes through the five steps and tells us about how they're linear. You don't always go through them at the same time and gives us some helpful hints on how to cope with the grief of divorce. Stay tuned. It's a good one. Welcome to Doing Divorce Different. I'm your host, Lisa Kosky, and I am excited to have our favorite marriage and family therapist, Brian Burns, back with us today. And today we're going to talk about grief and divorce. And I think Brian, you're going to educate me a lot because I want to talk about just grief in general a little bit and then, you know, how it relates to divorce and, you know, how maybe the death of a spouse is maybe the same or different, you know, than getting divorced. So, and then maybe to get some coping mechanisms for people so that they're able to work through it. So welcome, Brian. Not like a super uplifting, but a very helpful topic today. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Lisa. It's good to be here. And yeah, most of my days are not filled with uplifting conversations. So this is comfortable territory. Yeah, okay, good. For me. Well, do you want to just start out by kind of defining grief and how it works just in general? Sure. So, so grief is what the body experiences when it experiences loss, when something dear and important is lost. And so lots of writing and research has gone into grief, the most famous being from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross from the, gosh, I think it was probably 80s, but it could have been even before that. And she talked about five grief stages, denial, bargaining, anger, depression, acceptance, I think in that order. But what people don't know, interestingly, is those stages in her research and writing were applied only applicable to terminal patients. Really? uh, who were themselves grieving the loss of their own life. But in pop culture, we applied it to, you know, everything. And there is a lot of applicable information, but that's interesting that that those five stages are uniquely experienced and visible in terminal patients, but not as clear and by the general public experience different kinds of losses. I love this. I love learning these new yeah. facts because it just makes me geek out. I yeah, that no is. Idea. 
I had no idea. But will you tell me again? Denial, bargaining. Oh, sure. Denial, bargaining, anger, sadness or depression, and acceptance. Okay. And those are the so those are the five stages, and I can talk about each one if that feels useful to you. But what I want to say first is that a more realistic and updated model for grief now is that grief doesn't happen in a linear fashion. You know, you don't start with bargaining and move through those stages and then get to acceptance and then you're good. It's grief happens in a more circular model where it's very normal to to be in denial, it, which is a healthy way that the body prepares itself to face really hard things. You can't automatically just do that when they're thrust upon you. It's normal to experience bargaining or just this sense of what in the hell can I do to get out of this situation? And I think that's especially relevant to divorce. That's not something you're asking for or feel right about. It makes sense to feel anger, you know, like what the F, this is not mm-hmm. fair and not right. This is not what I signed up for. Whether it's the death of a spouse or the death of a marriage or the loss of a job that you value. Right. It makes sense to be sad when your body finally kind of comes into the sense of, I guess I got to do this. And it makes sense. And so acceptance, I can't even remember the word that's better than that right now. But acceptance implies that you've accepted that it's okay. And I think what we know about grief is that most loss, it's really not okay. Like when someone dies that you love, that never becomes okay that they're gone. You always miss them. And there's a hole in your life that's never filled, nor should it be. And when you lose a marriage, that was important to you, that never is okay. You know, that's never the way it was supposed to be, but it is what happened. So acceptance means your ability to tolerate or manage or shoulder the new reality and still have a meaningful, happy, purpose, you know, driven life. Very Uh, much like a death of a family member. I like how you just described each of these because it was gentle and it was full of like self-love. Like, yeah, that's okay. That's how, you know, because I can tend to be someone that will, why am I feeling like this? You know, or, and so I love that, that just being accepting of, well, yeah, that makes sense. That's how you're going to feel. Yeah. Well, you and I were talking before we started recording about what it feels like in your body when you drop your last kid off at school to college. And that is a feeling of, and then it's interesting. I recently have gone through that a couple of weeks ago and we have four children. And when I dropped, when we sent the first one off, I was, I mean, I was probably in a sense of mourning or melancholy for two or three months. I didn't tell you this when we were talking. No, you didn't. And I, you know, in looking back, this was, I think, five years ago now. It's hard to remember for sure. But my memory is that I was pretty hard on myself. I interpreted 
that experience of grief as sort of guilt or self-crimination. Like I had not been the father that I had wanted to be to my oldest daughter. And so I interpreted, but that's, that was my interpretation of the feeling. And so I was pretty hard on myself. Now the feeling eventually passed, but it wasn't without kind of a lot of internal struggle. So when we dropped twins off last or three weeks ago, when we got home, I had that same feeling in my body. It's melancholy. It's like you're kind of walking in a fog. It's feels sad and lonely. But I even sort of without, I think, thinking very hard, I didn't interpret it as I was a failure of it as a dad. I interpret it as you just dropped your kids off at college, you know, like, of course that sucks. Right. It's also awesome, you know, and now that right. I've had practice at it, like I can see <laughs> that, right? Um, but that, I just think that concept of accepting what is happening in your body without labeling it or deciding it needs to be fixed is, well, now we're moving to coping strategies, an essential part of understanding grief. There's nothing you can do to get out of the way of a loss, you know, that comes into your life. You just get through it. You know, what's the book? You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You right. can't go around it. You can only go, got to go through it. You know, it's, a, and as you say that, it sounds like an opportunity in a weird way. Because I know myself, I can like stuff feelings, Right. Many yeah. feelings, I try to stuff them. Yeah. And of course, no, you can't. Oh they pop God. up. But with grief, I feel like it's different because it's so much pain. And like you just said, it, you, you can't get away from it and you have to walk through it. And I think I had someone on this podcast one time that said, it's your feelings are kind of like a crying baby. Like you need to hold them and pick yeah. them up and just kind of set them down. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I like that. But now, so Brian, so we think about, so because we're talking about divorce, but like we said, this can apply to anyone. How do people cope with it? So the first thing is you just accept it and love yourself and just be like, it's okay that I feel this way. I'm not going to judge it. So I kind of feel like that's step number one to cope. Maybe, and then maybe they're not in order, but what are sure. some other things? Well, when I, so one, I would first say about that, that there's a term in the field or in psychology, complicated grief. And so complicated grief is different than non-complicated grief in, in that there's aspects of the loss that are harder to understand or cope with. So okay. if, can I ask? So this is kind of, I was going to ask you about this. And in layman's terms, I remember hearing one time many years ago how it's almost more painful for someone who's been through a divorce yes. than for someone who has lost a spouse. Yes. To is that what you're getting that's, at here? Yeah, that's exactly okay. where I'm going. Okay. Is that if it makes sense, you know, if your 89-year-old grandmother dies after being in a memory care unit, that makes sense. That is still grief. 
but a very straightforward, pretty black and white grief. That's very different than I'll go to the other extreme, you know, like your 16 year old dies by suicide and there was no explanation, no way to understand what was happening. Uh, Shouldn't happen. Doesn't make sense. No way to really process that as kind of fitting into a, a scheme of a life, you know, like that's just so far out of what we can understand. So that's I'm, complicated grief. I'd so, I'm so glad we're talking. Yeah, I'm so glad we're because as you're talking about this too, in my own world, I have a son-in-law who lost his beautiful mom to breast cancer when he was 16. It's been over 10 years and I don't even know, it still hurts. I And he's got, you know, he's getting lots of help, but it's so complicated to me even like to try uh, yeah. to... It's, understand how he could watch this beautiful woman just deteriorate before his eyes. And so that is complicated grief. So you're right, right now, what you're saying about divorce is going to help me with this little issue. Yeah. Divorce is complicated grief because even if it's, even if you are in the position of choosing it because you're seeing that you're, the marriage is no longer healthy for you, or for others, anyone, it's still, you know, there's still the what ifs. Mm -hmm. Um, There's still that sense of what does this mean about me? Could I have prevented this? Could she, you know, what could my partner have done? Did I choose wrong? Do I have some fatal, you know, error code in my ability to be healthy in relationships? That's all complications that makes the grief more intense and heavier and get stuck. Actually, we don't want people to get stuck in grief. We want them to experience all of the aspects of it, but continually move through it. And by the way, grief doesn't ever go away. It just, as you move through it, the feelings get less intense. They come around less frequently and are less impacting or interfere less on the normal day-to-day life. But you always feel, you know, or not sad. So getting stuck means in those stages of anger and sadness, folks often, like that's where it gets stuck, where you're kind of overcome with waves of each of those things in unpredictable times. And it's sort of like getting, like you jump are thrown into the ocean, actually, and you don't know how to swim. I mean, it's just... And so what to do about that is to kind of get a sense of reality. And so what is real here? I've never done this before. It is like getting thrown in the ocean, not knowing how to swim. I don't know how to be divorced because I've never been divorced. So it makes sense to feel fear, to feel frantic, to feel panic. So you're not judging yourself. Mm -hmm. What is reality? It makes sense to feel sad. And what are my sad feelings so that I differentiate those from anger? So you're doing a review 
of what are my feelings, sorting out what makes sense and is real. So it's not this big mess of stuckness of Mm -hmm. emotion that kind of comes out in just this, you know, angry, whiny ah, sort of feeling in your body. And that process, so that process slows down just the mental cognitive experience and you learn. You learn about yourself. You learn about what's true. You learn to, and that helps you move towards acceptance by just knowing. I I don't know if this is too kind of. No, I like this because I'm just thinking through it. And it's kind of what I've learned through coaching too. And what I've experienced because I've, I have, I've had some anxiety is that when I just like, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm anxious and I just sit and I feel it and I'm not afraid of it and I don't run from it, that alone has a huge change. So, I mean, I often have to write things down. That helps me a lot. And I'm thinking of maybe if you're dealing with these and you're going through a divorce or like my son-in-law, maybe just sitting and writing down your feelings so that you can actually name them. I actually have a feelings wheel. Yeah. (laughs) That helps me so that, yeah, I can understand what it really is. That's pretty, so good for you. And that's particularly useful for men. Men should all have a feelings wheel in their desk and in their car and by their bedside table. Because men are conditioned to feel two things, which are fine and angry. (laughs) (laughs) And fine is not a feeling, by the way. So it's only (laughs) one. They only get credit for one. So, so yes, identifying the feelings and accepting them is just part of taking control of your life. So that's, I want to encompass kind of my comments about coping skill is you have to take control of your life. Like life has kicked you in the ass and no, you know, nobody should dispute that. Uh, But, you know, life kicks everybody in the ass uh, sooner or later. Rain falls on every life at some point. And so this is an opportunity. And, you know, you may hate hearing that word. I know. Listeners, depending on the point or the phase that they're in. But when life kicks you in the ass, that's a chance to, you know, to take the exit that you choose, to take control in a way that leads you to a life of more meaning, more knowledge, more experience, that is just as happy and fulfilling as the one that you lost or that was taken from you. When you t- so taking charge of your life means that you decide the answers to questions like, who am I? What's important to me? Who do I want to be 10 years from now? What is this? You know, who am I as a parent? And if you don't know the answer to those questions, that's fine. But take charge of finding out the answers, of deciding the answers. Mm-hmm. Because when you have answers to those questions, it's, you have resilience. You can handle what life's thrown at you, even though it, it's not fun, you know, and right. not your fault, and, but you can handle it. I was listening to 
your podcast, some recent episodes. And I think when you take charge of your life, then you choose to do some of the coping strategies that one of your guests was talking through, Dr. Woods, maybe. Yeah. You know, that you're uh, making sure that you're, you have a therapist. And I'll come back to that one, actually. But sleep, diet, attitude, yeah. you know, social connections and supports. Like those are just day-to-day things that you can do when you take control of your life to process grief. And I know this is sort of a silly example, like dropping your kid off at college. It's fresh in my mind. So I'm using it that when I'm feeling, when I'm walking around in a fog, I can still day to day, I can still choose to go to bed at a decent time. I can choose to not drink, to numb the feelings. I can choose to eat, you know, not, not eat fast food, but cook at home. Even though I was sorely tempted to just stop at Wendy's on my way home from work. (laughs) Uh-huh. You know, like those are things. And of course, yes, in four or five days, the feelings had passed and I was sort of my normal self, experiencing myself again. But you can choose to do those day to day things. And that is taking charge of your life. And that helps your body move through the emotions of grief and not get stuck. Yep. If you've been, you know, if you've kind of been in the same place of distressing feelings and it's been two or three months i think you might be stuck it's i mean there's no time frame right i'm not saying you know plan on being in two months i'm saying if you're not experiencing movement and shifting in your body that you're in the same place two or three months down the road then you might be stuck And you probably should consider talking to a therapist. If you have, are you familiar with the term ACEs, DE, adverse childhood experiences? Uh -uh. If you have a high ACEs score, meaning, so if there's adverse, meaning stressful, the ACEs test assigns a point to each adverse child experience, divorce, loss of a parent, moving, you know, childhood, like bullying, like these are each stressful experience. So if you have a high ACEs score, you know, if there was trauma in your childhood, then probably that's a, you know, automatically your ACEs score is going to be really high. You're a good candidate to get stuck in grief. Your fault. But, be cognizant of that and get help, you know, because, because there is good help and therapy works. That talk therapy. Yes. And, yeah. you know, that's what yeah. Dr. Yeah. Woods was talking about too. Yeah. So then, okay. So basically when you're stuck, get a good therapist. What should this, so it's hard to find a good therapist for some people, Brian. What, what are you looking for? When so you're- hard. I just, ha- I've had, I've t- I had this conversation twice today already because it's so hard. I have mm-hmm. a lot of compassion for people that are wanting a therapist, but just making calls and inquiries and fi- not finding, you know, availability. 
it yeah. is hard. But a good place to start. Well, there's a couple places online. The best resource is Psychology Today. Okay, that's a magazine. But they have a website and a therapist. What's the term? Database directory. Okay. That is probably the most comprehensive out there, at least in this Minneapolis St. Paul area that we're in. But I suspect it's also nationwide. I just haven't used it for other areas. But, and of course, asking your physician, your friend, girlfriend, boyfriend, those are great resources. And then just cast the net, you know, reach out to folks, find out what their waiting list is, tell them you're going to be, you're willing to take a last minute, you know, opening. Because as a therapist, if someone cancels a day ahead of time, and I have two or three names of people I can reach out who would, that works. Like there's often not a week that goes by that doesn't work out for somebody. And for me, because I fill my time. Right. And I feel like there's a lot more, kind of a lot more availability with all the virtual. If you're willing to do virtual only, that that expands your options by quite a few numbers of magnitude. And the Psychology Today database, you can filter grief, divorce, trauma, informed therapies. So it's a really handy tool. That's good to know. Okay. So if you're stuck, find a good therapist who is probably going to give you some coping mechanisms. Is that true? I mean, is that? Well, that's what people, uh, you know, I would probably take issue with the way Dr. Woods described, you know, good therapy, honestly, but I don't, I guess I don't disagree with it, but I don't, I think it was limited. Some people benefit from tools, you know, like tell me what to do. Give me yeah. homework. And that makes a big difference. But in my experience, more often the case is that people think that's what they want. And it's, you know, not wrong. Like you should have some ideas and strategies. But the power of therapy is being known, is being able to be known and seen by someone who's trained to do that well give you a picture of yourself that's much healthier, much more resilient, much better able to process what you're going through. And you can't be known unless you talk and open up and share, which is hard, you know, like there's a, like you've spent years not being known by your spouse, frankly, I'm guessing wouldn't be a divorce. And you contributed to that. So so there's just there's something very healing about being known by someone who's trained to do it well in a healing way. Well, and Brian, I think what hit me is it probably brings you to that place of acceptance because you have a trained person that you've shared everything with who is looking at it in a healthy way, which right. it would be so comforting to know that, well, yeah, you know, that's how you would cope with this. And so, and I feel like that is just a huge part of the healing. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yep. Okay. So Brian, we are like getting here to the end. 
I can't believe it. I feel like I could, I feel like I could just talk on and with you. This is such a great subject. I feel like we've given people just some peace about how they're feeling, a step they can take before we sign off. And people, you, where can they find you, Brian, when we do sign off? Uh, my website, www.mnrelationshiprepair.com. Yep. And we always have that in our show notes. Is there any other little piece of advice that you want to leave the listeners with? Or have we kind of covered it? Look, uh, I'm sure we haven't, but I can't think of anything off the top of okay. my head. Well, good. And listeners know that Brian comes back periodically. So if there are questions, you can always email them to me and it would be leave us yeah. open to discuss in the future too. I think that'd be fascinating to kind of have an interactive element and to have questions from your listeners. That would I be a lot of fun. That would be awesome. So we'll be looking for those. So Brian, again, thank you so much. I appreciate that you take the time to do this. It means the world to me and it helps me as a person as a mediator, and the listeners out there. So thank you so much for being here today. You're very welcome. Great to be here. Hey, I just wanted to pop in here quick before the Saddle Up segment and this whole thing winds down. And I want to tell you about my Parenting Plan online course. It is for you if you are terrified that divorce is going to ruin your children. I'm here to assure you that you can co-parent really well together. And I have an online course that is going to walk you through a parenting plan. You will have a piece of your divorce done. If you want to work with a mediator, you can bring the paperwork in and that portion is complete. It's easy, affordable, quick, and effective, and it will be part of your divorce paperwork if you'd like it to, or you can just use it to co-parent well with another parent. It goes over all the things that you may not be thinking of when you're in the midst of an emotional time like divorce. So please go to lisakoski.com, check on my online courses, and sign up for the Parenting Plan course now because when parents work together, they can mitigate the damages caused by divorce to their children. As we trot into this week's Saddle Up segment, I want to remind you how Brian Burns, our marriage and family therapist, talked through the stages of grief and how they're pretty similar when you're going through divorce because it's a death of a marriage. And the key takeaway that I had was how important talk therapy is for people. We need to be seen and known. And when you can talk things through with a professional therapist, you get both of those. Thank you so much for joining us. Before I go, I just want to let you know some exciting news. In addition to my online parenting plan course, I now have the Minnesota Divorce Paperwork course. This course is going to hold your hand through the mediation process and the Minnesota Divorce Paperwork. 
It's easy, effective, comprehensive. You will have what you need to file for divorce with this course. Check it out at lisakoski.com. Thank you for listening to the Doing Divorce Different podcast. Connect with us at lisakoski.com and sign up for our newsletter.